Hello everybody and welcome to episode 63 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Mark's been in space, I've been in a creepy house. The PlayStation Network hacker brought to justice. Now we know how to refer to Zelda's Ganon at formal functions, and in our book club, simple handheld strategy ruins friendships, it's Advance Wars. Let's start the show. This is episode 63 of Link to the Cast. I am your returning party host, back from the grave, Dave Ryan, joined on the couch as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this afternoon? We are scientists do a cover of Hoppy Polo by Sigur Ross. <laughs> that is fucking unbelievable. There was an incredibly lengthy discussion before recording started on this podcast of... Um, uh, you know, maybe someone could uh, tweet us at Link to the Cast during the week for ones we've left out... Uh, we were talking about covers of songs that are as good, if not better, than the original. I now, mean, we obviously we... left out Johnny Cash's slash Nine Inch Nails' Her, because that's an obvious one. Uh, that, you know? Yeah, that's, I think that's hackneyed, really, at this come point. Come on, you know? come on. You know. um, but I, I had strong ones like um, The Raconteurs doing Bang Bang, My Bay Shot Me Down. Mm. Uh, the one we're undecided on, whether it's better or or not, but I think it's as good in different ways as Metallica's Whiskey in the Jar. Um, I it's mean, officially blasphemous for Irish people I was to say gonna, it's better. Yeah, you have so you have kinda... the detachment that could probably sure. settle the best. I, I think I prefer Metallica's version. It's It's got a mm. kick to it, you know. It certainly it's... does. It. It's it's it's, um, it's Larry's drums on it that are fucking... Yeah, like but it, it's also it, it's one of the... It adds a kind of like a pulse to it that's fucking unbelievable. It's also one of the few times where Hetfield kind of takes over with more of the lead parts, uh-huh. you know, because um, I, I feel he's pretty underrated as a guitarist just because yeah like he's not I mean obviously if you try and play any of his stuff that he has to sing and play like mm. that in it yeah, itself yeah, yeah. is insane uh, but obviously he has Kirk with it so he doesn't need to deal with the, the yeah. lead side of stuff we, we had your standard like um, Nirvana doing The Man Who Sold the World yep, Hendrix all along the Watchtower yeah that sort of stuff uh, anyone can think of anything uh, answers on the postcard Jeff Buckley hallelujah oh you know yeah. and I really really do not like uh, Rufus Rainwright's Rainwright's version. I would say Rufus Wainwright, isn't it? Rufus. Rufus. Uh, I would like the to see Rufus on fire. <laughs> I'd like to see Rufus Hound's version. That oh, could be there. interesting. Have you ever seen? Um, they did a UK spin-off of Lip Sync Battle. No. And uh, <laughs> Rufus Hound does Boom Shake the Room. Uh-huh. Uh huh. By the Fresh Prince, but he does it dressed as the Burger King, which is an interesting creative decision. There's, uh, there's a lot to take in there. It's quite something. It's it's a thrustier performance than you might expect. There's a lot of pelvis action going on. We uh, we had a show on Channel... F- Did you ever have Channel 5 over here? Yes, yes. Okay, there was a show. It was um, like a Saturday night karaoke sort of show with mm. celebrities, where basically it was just a bunch of C-list celebrities doing karaoke. I really liked that lip sync battle idea for a while as yeah. well. For a while it was really like... Sometimes you get great ones like um, Terry Crews doing Vanessa Carlton, shirtless. Yeah. It, was in, it was incredible. I, I, I preferred the idea of them actually having to sing it. Yeah, yeah. But that's then, just me. That's going to, like, a lot of people are going to get shown up by the ones that actually can sing. Well, I mean, it's nothing like seeing Keith Chegwin try to sing. You it's know? pretty much just going to be, like, Anna Kendrick as a guest every single week because she was on Broadway before she was famous. You Fair, know? yeah. I don't know. I, the idea of Anna Kendrick appearing on Channel 5. I meant Lip Sync Battle. Right, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. fair enough. 
That's anyway. more believable. I think I was on Spike or something over in the States. I can't remember. Anyway. Where uh, yeah. we? Well, I'm alive. We <laughs> yeah, missed the podcast last week. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. Uh, Mark could attest to this. I was in fucking ribbons last week. I was planning on doing the show myself, but I realized it just wouldn't it, be terrible. I, what happened was we, we got to the point where like it was Wednesday. It was pretty much Wednesday morning that I woke up dead. Hmm. Um. And we kind of, it was too short notice. Normally, if one of us is sick or can't do it, we'll call Jack or Barry or one of the, the friends of the show, Brian as well, um, in to fill in. But it was kind of so late that we didn't have the time to do that. And normally yeah. I would put together the news, so it would be heaping a lot of work on you as well as trying to get someone in. Also, the behind the scenes, every other week I have to record the show past 11 o'clock in the evening. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, not only that, but um, then we kind of said, well, we'll delay it by a couple of days, see if I get any better. And, like, it's kind of a thing where I don't get sick that often, like, properly sick. I'll get, like, a sniffle or a headache or whatever, but I won't get proper sick sick very often. Once a year, I'll get it, and it puts me on my arse for about a week, and that's what happened. Uh, like, I really, this is the first day where I felt completely like myself since that. <laughs> you know, like, I've still got a bit of a, you can probably hear the timber in my throat, like, there's still a little bit of shit knocking around in there but uh like at its worst you heard me like i could barely speak and it was great it, it hurt when i actually did speak that wasn't so Fuck good you, by the way <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah no i'm back back to my best um and i celebrated my return to being able to go outside without feeling like i wanted to die by going to my very first uh, screen unseen uh odian do this thing where every month they'll have uh, a mystery film on of a of an evening i think it's usually about the same time uh like the start of a week it's on a quarter past eight and they won't you now, won't find is, out until the film starts rolling what is, it is this uh cheaper then i obviously you have yeah. an unlimited card but yeah it's it uh, fiverr it's, oh, nor- it's normally okay. in that time slot it's normally tenor yeah so it's half price um and as well as that they have a, like a, a couple their criteria is they're not just going to play any film they're going to play one that they will eventually rate four to five stars on their own website so they're they're not going to um just put any old shit up there um and then the the other guarantee they have i think it's if you walk out within the first 15 minutes if it's not your kind of thing you get a full refund no questions asked but i think that is the case for films in general if you walk out within the first 10 minutes i think you're entitled to a refund oh, i never knew that yeah um huh. it's something like obviously they're not going to put that up on the posters at the front. well no um but i went to see mindhorn okay. <laughs> that's what it turned out to be and it's a film i've been i've been quite looking forward to starring starring julian barrett he of mighty boosh fame the one that isn't noel fielding yeah um and it's about a guy who was um a detective in the 80s on a show based in the Isle of Man where he solved crimes using his cybernetic eye that could see the truth. Now, before you told me any more and before you told me who was in it, I immediately went, that sounds like something Matt Berry would do. Yeah, and then when I said it was Julian Barry, you went, yeah, yeah, fair (laughs) enough. Um, And um, the the story of the film is that this guy now in 2017 is like a bloated, out-of-work actor living, and I think he's... Is it like in some sort of dingy flat in Islington he's living or something? I think it was Islington, he said. Yeah. Um, and he's called back to the Isle of Man by the actual police because there's an actual murderer going around who will only answer to Mindhorn, thinking that the fictional detective is a real person. Yeah. Um. So escapades ensue. I don't want to spoil what's going on because there's a lot of great stuff in there. Um. There's, there's a great supporting cast. Simon Farnaby, who is a great kind of... 
Um, you may not know the name, but you'll know the face if you watch British comedy for any length of time. He was a guy who would show up in random roles in the bush and other things like that. Uh, he's utterly brilliant in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Coogan plays a very small, small role in it. Um, and he's very, very good. Do you want to think that is quite shocking? What? I still, to this day, have not seen Alpha Papa. Oh, it's so good. I need to get you around to this. You mean Hectic Danger Day? I need to get around to this. <laughs> Colossal Velocity. I, I it's just, a great... I was actually uh, going to say, this movie, to kind of give you the DNA, and I'm not saying it's as good or better than these films, but the DNA of this film is like Alpha Papa by way of the mighty boosh with a bit of hot fuzz mm-hmm. sprinkled in on top of it. Actually... So if you like any one of those films, you're probably going to really like this film. It's With the explanation, it starts off... I had Birdman in the back of my mind. Oh, it's not that. But it's not Birdman is... Like Birdman has comedic elements to it. Birdman is largely but not, fairly serious. Yeah, but not in the tone, but just the kind of concept of yeah. like a, a real actor and, and everything. There's, and there's a lot of um, it's not off-putting to people who don't understand kind of uh, schlocky British TV, but there are some really fun references to British actors and things like that. And there's some good cameos in there. Uh, the one cameo I can spoil because it's actually in the trailer I never noticed him in the trailer but he's actually in the trailer so I can spoil it right now Sir Kenneth Branagh is in this film for all of about 5 or 10 minutes and he's he's great at it fun fact I have an English teacher who claimed that she once banged Kenneth Branagh so there's my claim to fame that's your that's your uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon you and Kenneth Branagh Um, yeah go see Mindhorn it's out on May 5th uh, so, because it was a preview screen, that's the other rule of Creed Unseen. It's a film that isn't actually on general release yet. Yeah, I, I still need to go and see Ghost in the Shell. Um, and I that still is gone out of the cinema. Well, because like, I'm house sitting this Whoa, week, I'm only back. What? That's already only gone. been out for like three weeks. Yeah, but you see, Fast and the Furious came out last week, oh, yeah, and Guardians is out on Thursday. Yeah, Jesus, oh the, man, Thursday night. So the day this podcast comes out, I will be uh, eagerly running around because I'm going to a midnight screening of that shit. So I'll have a, a review next week on the show spoiler free um, obviously hmm. but the reviews are already coming out for that and apparently good times for Guardians now I'm going to Burr over the weekend do you think Burr has home any of Barry Glendening of Football Weekly lore <laughs> do you think Burr has a cinema anywhere uh, I don't know not I'm not sure, sure if it has roads not sure if I can convince the missus on a romantic weekend away to go and see Guardians of the Galaxy 2 well, but she... what are you doing with her then that's, that's... Uh, well <laughs> this is fair this is fair I'm sorry, Laura. I love you. <laughs> sorry, she never gets this part of the podcast. She's fine. Good, good. Uh, anyway, where are we? Yeah, woman has the patience of a saint, by the way. Well, I'll say that for the record. Hey, more than self-aware of this. Uh, the other thing we've been doing in our two weeks off that we were going to talk about on the show last week, we went to the big OTT Super Show. We, yeah. we talk about the grap sometimes on this podcast. We do. Not going to get too grap heavy on this no. uh, for time, and as well as we have our own occasional podcast. And to be fair, we've already spoken at length, like in our own time, about like our thoughts and feelings on this show uh, in yeah. person and in we, we've, Facebook form. Yeah, yeah. We, we've written about it on Twitter and talked to each other enough about it at this mm. stage. I don't think we really feel the need to rehash it considerably, but... OTT, the the independent, the big independent Irish wrestling promotion, ran its big show up in our uh, national boxing stadium. It wasn't just Paul White. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't that. But yeah, which you would notice it was kind of funny that over time it has been contracted from national boxing stadium to the more deceptively titled national stadium. Yeah. Uh, which definitely uh, it's very it's playing it fast and loose with that word stadium uh-huh. there like for boxing it's a it's pretty big like for a purpose-built boxing place two and a half thousand seats yeah. is reasonably big i, I would but accept for the a word, national stadium I it looks accept, like just a mid-sized car dealership i would accept the word arena maybe mm-hmm. 
Um, like I've been to yes, the, the roof does not open. Here. I've been to the Aviva Stadium. That's a fucking stadium. That's a fucking stadium. And it's a very nice stadium. Croke Park. There's a fucking stadium. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's um, yeah. So, but yeah, like the show overall had uh, so like the big UK or the European. I think European grabs is the way we should what, three phrase. Uh, that scene, if you will, because a lot of people are still saying the UK uh, scene, and I don't want to, you know, me being English, leaving yeah, out the Irish. Yeah. Like for people who are in Europe, it's kind of like there's there's the three hubs, and it's like the Mick Graps is the the Irish wrestling scene is just OTT, really. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's an up, <laughs> uprising or whatever they're called. There's a naughty promotions after starting now, and sure. apparently that's already pretty good because it's got a lot of the guys from the same sort of shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then we got the Brit Rest scene. Which is all the rage at the moment. Yeah, which is um, like ICW, Progress, Rev Pro, Fight Club Pro. Attack. Attack. Yeah. And then a bunch and then, of you know, ones. You've got like then. Lucha Forever and what else. Yeah. And again, in the European scene, is mainly WXW. Is, yeah, is WXW the is the is the, yeah. the big one. There was a like a, an Italian money mark back in the day that had like fucking... Rikishi. Rikishi, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Orlando Jordan, I think. Wasn't yeah. he like? Wasn't he a part owner, Rikishi? I don't know. Was it the Italian one that had Orlando Jordan versus Ultimate Warrior, or was that <laughs> Wolf? Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> uh, do you remember match. the video of Warrior training? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in between homophobic slurs. Yeah, it's casual. Um, R.I.P. Brother. So yeah, so Progress have got their Brixton show. ICW have the Barrowlands, and obviously they had the big uh, uh, Hydro show. Yeah, Nini said Hydro. Um, hell. And uh, Ref Pro don't really have a big, big show. They just have they, the they have show. they have they have, the b- they have bigger the... shows, but in the same building. Like they tend to run York Hall or what's that other one? The one in it's the cockpit. The smaller shows, the um... Walthamstow Assembly. Oh, the Walthamstow. Well, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so OTT, this which is a really nice building. By yeah, the way. yeah. Uh, so yeah, OTT, this is their biggest show they've ever done because they usually yeah we do the Tivoli, they, which they, every month they do the Tivoli three fifty uh, and yeah. they run Mandela Hall up in Belfast which is roughly the same and they run the Clayton Hotel up there which is roughly the same and then they run bars in, in, in Limerick and yeah. Galway once um, so and you know, this had a pack card it had the Elite and Kenny Omega who were doing the rounds that weekend appearing at Fight Club uh, Rev Pro and. Uh, beyond wrestling oh beyond wrestling as well yeah beyond wrestling another one um so that was kind of the big draw i think it's fair to say on top of this being they were getting the punters in yeah 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 and i didn't i didn't see too much in terms of knowing kind of who was flying over where people were coming from Mm. um I, I I didn't like kind of look too much into it. There was a few people that come over. Um, yeah, there were there was a lot of people on the card who were kind of your um, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were the people that kind of even if you're just kind of uh, broadly following wrestling, you would have heard of them. Yeah. Um, if you're following under the internet, that is, if you're following WWE, you've no clue who anyone on this card is. Right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but you're probably going to the show next. Is it next week? They're over. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, there's like, you know, Marty Skrull was on the show as well. Jay White was on the show. Um, massive Urine Cinnamons Yarn made Simmons. his debut. Grado was on the show. Grado, who actually, he would probably be to the casual wrestling fan the most well-known person on the card because he was on TNA. That is a fair shout. Yeah. That is a fair shout. And it might be fair, he's been on BBC, I think. Yeah, because yeah, they did the two insane yeah. fight clubs. So yeah, he probably yeah. was the biggest person on, on the card. And he was in the opener. That. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, so yeah, here here are my thoughts. Right, uh, it reminded me a we, lot. We pretty much concur on this as well. Yeah, so we don't need to overlap. It reminded much. me a lot of the Progress Brixton show. 
yeah. in that it was a big card, big spectacle, big celebration of how far the company's come. But in terms of the wrestling, nothing over, for me personally, three and a half stars. Yeah, like normally on an OTT show, there's a four star or more match. Sure. Um, but like that is... The thing with the smaller promotions is you want to have that one match every month that brings the punters back in the next month. Mm -hmm. More so for me personally, more so than this person or that person. If you have a match on the card that you know I'm guaranteed to see a four-star match, I will come back every month like with that yeah. fail. Because um, that was what Progress was doing for me at the start. Because yeah. it was all like English talent, but they yeah. were like, having these incredible matches. And, and normally that's what OTT do. They will have exactly. one blow-away match on the show. Uh, usually involving someone like Marty Skrull. Yeah. He has been in most of the four-star <laughs> yeah. Funny that. I oh, know, right. Um, but like the Progress Brixton show, there wasn't anything that was blow-away. Uh, but I came always satisfied. The atmosphere know? was blow-away. The atmosphere sure. was the key thing. Uh, the, the National Stadium, the way that it's set up, uh, was it's a great venue for wrestling. Mm -hmm. uh, the production... Where TNA used to run their house shows when they were at their Yeah, peak. I remember you saying, yeah. Um, and, like, I, you know, I think it's somewhere that if um, NXT came back, like... I was surprised they didn't run there instead of the three arena. I mean, fair enough, they filled they out the three fucking arena. packed it, yeah. yeah but so, the atmosphere wasn't great at that show. No. Apart from uh, Nakamura sure. and a couple of others. So, um, but it has that kind of feel about it. Like an mm -hmm. ECW type vibe yeah. to it. Um, so the atmosphere was great. The production was great. You know, the, they really kind of stepped up. They the actually had a pyrotechnics so. company, company yeah. that uh, worked for them uh, for that. No, they definitely did that, but um, they kind of, yeah, the, between the uh, not having any blow-away matches and not really doing a lot to um, make stars out of the, the regular non-imports, which is another point we had talked about a lot. Yeah. They, I, I think we both agree that the Kings of the North, who are the tag champions there, are the most kind of um, big promotion-ready act out of their... Um, Martina Session Mott is great and her entrance was fantastic mm -hmm. unfortunately the match was not no um, but the, the, the kind of the spectacle of her entrance was phenomenal sure and she's over it she hell. like she's had some I, I thought her uh, match with Dahlia Black in progress wasn't too bad mm -hmm. so you know especially she, for a first match you know yeah nerves but I think it's the kind of thing when you have and this I don't want to sound sexist but when you have six women and not all of them are quite up to that level yet. Mm. It always has the potential and to And there's be... not much time as well. It wasn't... No. Because the entrance is into a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a cluster. Um, but yeah, they just there was nothing on the show. I would, have, I would have much preferred like the, you know, a tag match somewhere else in the card to get all the rest of the women in because I was glad to see all of them. Mm. And then have maybe a Martina-Katie match for the title. This thing. is the thing. Like, A... Because Katie is great. She's yeah. like, you know, like I, I, I hadn't... Like, I, I have only been exposed to her through OTT, but she's getting booked yeah. lots of other places I, now. I was, I was surprised that neither the women's title or the, the actual world, world, title. The world title. The tag was the only one that was on the line yeah. all night. Um, Gotta say as well, actually, the sleeper match of the night was the one with um, the that actually was a local match, which was um, Justin Shape and uh, Logan Bryce against the Gymnasties. Yeah, that was, pretty that was a pretty, that was okay. really cool match, including, I think, my favourite spot of the night, a super kick into a Canadian Destroyer, yeah. which I fucking <laughs> lost my mind for. So, but for me, the key thing out of this is, so they've announced that they're coming back in August, mm. and so they've announced Jerry Ryan, Matt Seidel, Now, Mick bear in mind, Foley. they're doing monthly shows in the Tivoli as well yeah, yeah, yeah. this whole time um, and they've announced I think it was today this morning the prices which have uh, had a jumped up 
between a spike. A, uh, 10 to 15 euro for every single slot and they've also the section myself and brony were sitting in are now substantially more expensive and have been renamed as a different section yeah so that without me, assigned seating that for me is a bit excessive for my liking yeah. you know um, um yeah not massively into that no uh, that, I, I, I won't be going anyway because it's on at the same time there's a festival going down down in cork that the manicure creatures are headlining so priorities fair yes uh, um, but then, and it's funny enough it only costs like for the whole weekend down there it only costs twice as much as the... yeah but the thing is is like i could probably get a for the the price of a front row seat like if i planned in in enough advance i could probably get like a general admission ticket for progress and get a flight over there my super strong style ticket for the whole weekend was only about 30 pounds more expensive i'd yeah. say i think it's about 70 odd pounds for the so fair enough ott they're being if it sells out, if it sells out more power to them yeah but, um uh, not for me this time no. I, think, I think even if i had been around i probably would have given this one a miss just mm. on principle mm. um like i said i think i would have paid the additional few quid more for the young bucks and kenny omega but no one on this show in august is someone i haven't seen before somewhere no. else more power to the people who are really excited for foley and stuff like indeed, that but it's, it's just not for me no Anyway, should we talk about some video games, Mark? Yeah, let's talk about some video games. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Well, you know me, Captain Current, uh-huh. playing a game from 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 2015. Uh, no, a- early April, 2015. April 2015. That's not how. It felt like it was earlier. No. Uh, yeah, April 2015 saw the release of Axion Verge for the PS4. Now, I didn't play it at the time because I was waiting for the PS Vita release, which didn't come out for a, uh, another year. Yeah. So, um, and I only got my PS4 like a couple of months after that, and then I mm-hmm. fucked off to China and whatever else. Um, okay, so I've banged out about 1,500 words. and One of our early podcasts had me talking about this game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will probably go back and listen to that to see your thoughts on it. But yeah, so I've banged out about 1,500 words and I'm probably actually going to do a video recording at some point because I've got quite a lot I've been saying about it and I'll try and keep this kind of concise. I do like Axiom Verge. I'm a big fan of that kind of Metroidvania. We're both fans of Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. Um, I fucking love Guacamelee. Um, mm-hmm. There's a thing going on at Twitter at the moment with like your favourite games from the last five years. Yeah. And Guacamelee is my favourite game of uh, 2014 or 2013. I can't remember which year. Um, I want to say t- 2014. Could be, yeah. I really, really like those kinds of games and I really like what Guacamelee does. And in the article, which will be hope- hopefully up soon... Um, I kind of talk about how that takes the, the, the Metroidvania format and it expands on that, does mm. new things. Axiom Verge is indebted to Super Metroid to a fault, almost a fault. It's Yeah, it's, it's less a let's see what we can do with this franchise now and more a love letter to it. Yeah. Not franchise, genre. Genre, yeah. Um, now, it was only about halfway into the game that I realised that this was made by one person. Mm-hmm. And so that immediately, you kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, look, they're sure sure there will be flaws because no one person can be a great artist programmer uh storyteller etc etc but one of the key things um i've come away from thinking about is that and as i just kind of mentioned that it it's so indebted to super metroid that the few times it does have a few moments where it subverts the expectation um, so as I said to you that um, 
you'll have like the small kind of narrow paths that you'll see for the early part of the game. And you think to yourself, okay, well, I guess at some point I'm going to get a morph ball ability so I can get through to those areas. Mm. And then you end up with the, the scout drone bug uh, uh, creature yeah. uh, tool. And that's really cool. That's like, oh, hey, that took what I thought was going to happen and slightly changed it. And also that ability itself, um, you can do a number of different things with. And, you know, it, it gives you a different way of uh, exploring the environment. But it doesn't do that enough. For the most part, the whole game does the same thing of a Metroidvania of, hey, here's an obstacle, you can't get past it, you need to find the correct item to get you past that area. The ways that it does that, uh, the ways that it does that are slightly different. Like, you have the uh, address disruptor tool, which, you know, kind of glitches out enemies and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But the few issues I have is that it's not consistent with the rules of how enemies glitch out and where you need to use them. More so for, like, some of the secret items. Um, but also, it's not kind of clear in what areas need the correct like upgrade of the disruptor so you'll end up going back to an area that hey there was this big kind of pixelated wall i have this weapon this seems like it'll work yeah and it doesn't and then you have to go back again and because the game also like while visually it's great it has a really cool retro pixel art style with a little bit of alien and prometheus in there i'd say but the areas aren't there's not enough kind of difference in like geometry and uh kind of indicators of secret areas or whatever else that you do end up getting lost but not in a kind of it's hard to say in a fun way of getting lost but it does just become frustrating at yeah. a point um where with guacamole like, like you, a, i know you haven't played it yet but getting lost in a breath of the wild is an utter joy yeah yeah yeah. because you're gonna like i was talking to you on the walk to to link to the cast headquarters for the <laughs> show today i was talking to you about like how i got lost in breath of the wild and found something absolutely fucking mental this mm. week but now. and so but like with with guacamole what it does is it gives you these kind of clearly colored blocks that um correlate with whatever upgrade or whatever ability that you have which like if you have the headbutt when you headbutt like a yellow blur comes behind you when you uppercut there's like a red blur or a red streak so you know oh hey if i use the uppercut on that red block that will clear it and it does yeah and so it a is clearly uh labeled on the map when you find this okay i need to come back here but it's also each of the areas have their own distinct feel about it that uh, a, they're more enjoyable to explore. B, you have these abilities that let you progress through the areas in a way which exploring is more fun. Um, and C, it's just it's just it's easier to remember. Oh, hey, I can go back to this point. I know there's that block there. Um, so I've come away from this game being more fond about the time spent with Guacamelee and now wanting to go back and playing that. Uh, the other kind of key, and it's a it's a big one, is the writing in the game and the plot in general. Is, You're not a big fan of. It's it's a bit of a mess. Mm. Uh, Trace, the most distinguishable thing about his character is that he has sideburns. Mm. You know, um, just pretty quickly, like because the thing is, Guacamelee is obviously there's nothing serious about the story, but very quickly it sets up. Hey, you're Juan. You're now uh, uh, a super luchador. And the, the president's daughter has been kidnapped. Go rescue her. Boom. Plot is established in about five minutes. Yeah. But all the writing in the game is is quick. It's snappy. It's witty. It's self-aware. 
a little bit on the nose at points, I'll admit. But for the most part, it all flows through and it all fits. Here, there's there's a lot of discourse and narrative that just it's it's a mess. Um, and it's clearly the, the weak point in the game and of uh, Thomas Happ, I think is his name, the developer. It's clearly the weak point of his abilities because he's clearly excellent in everything else um, with game. But this one area stands out and it made me think like, would it have been better to go like the hyperlight drifter route of just eliminating text and you know the story is probably going to be as confusing, but it leaves it more open to interpretation. Yeah, and, you know, like, I, I think his problem isn't so much that it's poor. I think it's that what he's trying to do without the necessary level of skill possible is to, as well as make a love letter to the Metroidvania game, is that there's a lot of um like there's a lot of callbacks and and thematic elements that are reminiscent of like 70s sci-fi like mm. high concept sci-fi it very much reads like somebody who loves the work of say philip k dick yeah. or other other kind of people in that if you're thinking in that neighborhood that that sort of sure. thing um back in that era of sci-fi where the like the character you're talking that you're playing as or that you're following through a book is like the least important element uh, the the high concept of the sci-fi itself being the the important thing, but I think he loses that narrative thread. Yeah, um, it, like, it's got some cool stuff that if you're a sci-fi fan, you're going to enjoy it. But as a story by itself, without getting what it's trying, like without getting the source material that it's drawing from, it doesn't really work. Yeah, it just it it's very difficult to exactly pinpoint <laughs> if a game could have footnotes yeah you know it's, what I mean? it's very difficult to pinpoint what exactly the motivation is throughout the mm. game you know mm. um, and it's very much a game that you end up playing just because it's a metroidvania mm. and you know the tropes of what a metroidvania does and mm. it follows all of them you know to a T yeah. so that's not to say that I didn't enjoy it because I do think it's a great game yeah. I did enjoy playing it yeah. Um, you don't I, you don't have the, the, the patience to have played it as much as you have if you didn't like it. Exactly. I put in about 12 hours. Uh, I like that it gives you, you know, a large uh, degree of weapons to, to use. And you was kind of saying to me, hey, you've picked up a bunch of weapons that I hadn't picked up by this point. So yeah. I like that. That's a yeah. nice feature that, you know, two people can play through this game and the end collection of weapons they have is going to be quite different. Or at least the, the order they get them in and the exactly. order they discover the, the bosses in. Yeah. Um, so I do feel as well that the game doesn't really properly open up until you get the red coat. Mm-hmm. And so you can then really start flinging yourself around the environment. Yeah. And But that comes so kind of late in the game uh, for my liking where with Guacamole, like halfway through, you have like a significant number of the upgrades where just flinging yourself around the environment so one thing that was refreshing as well when i played it was uh it's mad in this day and age to play a game where bosses have predictable patterns i don't mean that in a bad way. no yeah, yeah, yeah like it is rare that i'll get a game now that isn't doesn't have the dark souls model where about halfway down the health bar the boss freaks out and does something sure. entirely different that you have to figure out yeah i was not expecting breath of the wild to have that and boy does it <laughs> um but yeah overall like it i, I did enjoy it um I'm probably now because of it. What I do want to do is actually is go back and find a few other Metroidvanias in the last couple of years. I really need to either A, buy an Xbox One, not going to happen, or B, get those fuckers to make Ori in the Blind Forest across onto mm. the PS4 or something so I can play it's that. It's a very whimsical game. Um, and there's a couple of others as well. There's a new one out, um, Hollow... Hollow Knight or something. Uh, there's a new one that's come out, so I want to have a look at that. Um, 
So we're in a Metroidvania feel at the moment. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. So, but I got Night in the Woods next. That yeah. that's the next thing for me. So, I go. have been playing a little game that came out this week, um, yesterday as we record this, and I've already beaten it. And that is what became or the what remains of Edith Finch. So I've heard a bit about this game. From okay, so this Twitter. was a game that was kind of shrouded in mystery. I first heard about this game either two or three years ago. At either a PSX or E3-like thing, there was a couple of journalists who I kind of would, if they're excited about a game, I will kind of make a mental note of the name of that game for when it comes out. So What Remains of Edith Finch has been kind of floating around in my head, and one of the bits of advice I had gotten about it was, the less you know about this game before you play it, the better. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that I'm not going to talk spoilers or anything like that. I'm going to talk about the loose kind of what the conceit of the game at the very start is. And I'm not going to talk about actual details of what happens uh, later on. As soon as the stuff, the weird stuff that starts to happen, started happening on the playthrough that I did. Uh, there's a Friday of Plays going up of it this week. Um, as soon as the weird stuff started to happen that I, I thought to myself, people are going to want to experience this cold. Uh, I cut off the playthrough then, mm-hmm. um, about half an hour in. I was going to play an hour, but I said, okay, this is getting to cool stuff that I wouldn't want spoiled on me. So, But anyway, this game comes from Giant Sparrow, who you will probably best know as being behind the Unfinished Swan, which was a PS Plus game yep. um, a couple of years ago, yep, yep, like yep. around the start of the PS4, I think. Um, and they are kind of there in the walking simulator business. So already, if you're not a a person who enjoys that type of game that is low on mechanics but high on storytelling and immersion uh, you may want to check out here if um, you think gone home is a feminazi agenda slash propaganda type game this probably the, the high watermark for me and the things i i actually compare this game favorably to are gone home and uh, everybody's gone to the rapture mm-hmm. uh, firewatch is up there for my my walking sims but uh, it it's not really this game is not like that um, tentatively, you play um, a girl called Edith Finch, who is returning to the old family home years after something has happened, and you're the only one coming back, and you're trying to put together... You have a little diary with basically a family tree in it, and you're trying to put together what happened to all the members of your family in the past um going back several generations there is a some hints early on of the suggestion of like a family curse that horrible things have happened to a lot of people in your family and that you were taken away as a child from the house um without real answers as to what was going on um so you're coming back to this house now a presumptive grown-up uh, trying to kind of piece together things that, that are happening and you particularly centered around your grandmother who you are named for so her name was Edie obviously Edith and you are named for her and all the kind of figures in the family she is sort of the, the nucleus of where all the stories come from um, and you exp- in a very gone home sort of way you are exploring a house that has many different nooks crannies and secrets to it um and along the way you kind of um you find different details and different stories that take you away and you kind of find out what happened to these different people throughout um and it does 
the, the storytelling is done really well. I think that the house is real creepy, like the house and gone home, and like something is quite off and you're not sure. And the further you go into the house, the stranger things get. Uh, it's not a horror game by any stretch of the imagination, I don't think, but there's certainly an on edge feeling as you like go Like Gone through. Home has that. Yeah, it, it has that haunted without it being haunted sort yeah. of thing. Um, like it's really tough for me to dance around this without going to spoilers. So I'm sorry if this sounds no, fairly so vague. Is it doing um a similar thing to like I have to use Gone Home as my reference point because I've not played a lot of walking simulators. But is it kind of you're limited in mechanics, but you can walk mm. around the environment, you can interact yeah. with interact things, with things you can read you solve and... a couple of puzzles, like not like puzzles like you'd think of in you know like a Portal game or like uh, or you're not trying to find a key like to put into don't want to say yes or no but okay. there are certain well, it's probably yes then <laughs> there are well there are certain ways to get to additional air like other areas it's, it's a, a very big sprawling house it kind of looks like the fucking weasley's house in in harry potter like it's a big fucking like, like like resident evil use object to put here to progress it's not even always object it's um because there are like different concepts yeah because there are different like passageways and stuff in the house sometimes by exploring a relative story and figuring out what became of them um in the process of seeing that story if you are paying attention you will see them use a thing that will teach you how to get around the house better is it resident evil 7 without the severing of hands no it's not no no because like that's more puzzle puzzle yeah but this is more like narrative device shall Uh we say um and the the when you get to the areas like so typically not always you will find a relative story what happened to them when you get into their their bedroom and the bedroom's really creepily and for reasons that are not known to you at the start are all sealed mm-hmm. from the outside to keep people in but you get in you can't force open the doors or anything like that but by kind of navigating around the house you eventually start getting into these rooms and generally in someone's room you will find like um their story about themselves and how they came to be you know what happened to them ultimately and every time you do that you will draw a nice little drawing on your uh, family tree that kind of signifies right you're done with that person's arc you know but every time you encounter one of their stories, like it could be the form of a diary entry, it could be the form of like an object that they are they were known for uh, to be associated with. Um, it could be a letter. It could be it could be anything really. It will take you out of your narrative as Edie Finch and into their first person narrative doing something. Uh, it could be somewhere around the house. Could be somewhere outside the house. Something like that at a particular at a different time or place that's key to their story. Um and it's like it's it goes kind of weird like everybody's gone to the rapture does not quite with the lights in the sky and the i i think not to use the phrase high concept sci-fi again but that's very much what everybody's gone to the rapture particularly when you get to the end game when you figure out what's going on in that town Mm. um that very much is a sci-fi game this isn't this is very much a um like a really sad story about like about a family that just was fucking basically cursed um going back many generations it's a really really interesting it's one of those examples like walking simulators when they're done well 
are great because a movie of what remains of Edith Finch would not be half as good because you can't you you can't have the same level of immersion that you do uh, as you would in a game. Yeah. Um it's only about a 2 to 3 hour long game I would say if you really rush through and don't pour over everything. I think it took me about 5 hours because I was really looking at different things and it kind of rewards you. you. You sort of fill out more details and notice more things if you're really, really looking at everything as you're going around the house. Um, but yeah, it's it's not my favorite walking simulator I've ever played. I still think for me personally, for what I look for from those games, something like uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, um, Gone Home I don't have a, on quite as high a pedestal as some people do I love it don't get me wrong and I love Firewatch as well but I think everybody's gone to the rapture and another one that I haven't mentioned yet The Beginner's Guide is one of my favourite walking simulators um, I love the Stanley Parable as well for different yeah. reasons but uh, actually because there was um, uh, a big hoo-ha yesterday um, uh, there was an article that was put out by uh, Ian Borgos I want to say his name it's for The Atlantic talking about games don't why do games bother with story essentially uh, and yeah I heard about this yeah, yeah and so you know a bunch of people which is, which is funny because if you actually give video games the time of day they can tell a story almost better than any other medium yeah and that's not to say that they're perfect by any means and no. they still have a long way to go no but if you're going to take like do you know what I mean like if you're going to take something like you're going to cherry pick say Call of Duty yeah I mean that's obviously not going to be as fantastic a storytelling device as say Citizen Kane but then you could also go reverse so if I look at what remains of Edith Finch or I look at everybody's gone to the rap is a much better storytelling device than say triple x oh, yeah than triple x or triple x uh two yeah. with ice cube and yeah. um you know what i mean like you're really sure stuff, but, but i mean if you have people that are looking in at what a video game is and they're well outside the spectrum yeah. you know they know maybe at a stretch grand theft also mm. is a thing or call of duty well like, yeah that's the, there's still a lot of people that don't realize that the important things that video games can discuss when sure. done right and that's the problem with the the walking simulator genre like i would prefer to generally if i was going to call it something if i had the uh, decision of what the genre was called i would call it first person adventure uh first person adventure narrative something like that mm. walking simulator kind of i think does it a misservice but um or disservice i, I, I think that's a tag that's going to be stuck with that yeah form, well that's you know? the that's the the kind of the that's the thing that when you say walking simulator people understand that yeah they don't understand if i was to go into that kind of sprawling definition <laughs> um the problem with that genre is that if the storytelling isn't good enough to make up for the lack of mechanics they are very boring games yeah well it also has the issue that um, during, if you notice that the like the egg avatar on Twitter has slowly been taken over with the anime avatar, as mm-hmm. if you see one, run a fucking mile. Yeah. Um, it, there is a. I was accused of having one once because, kind of like it, to the casual observer, Scott Pilgrim looks like it's anime. The fucking state. Yeah. Um, there, there is a section of the internet that has now just. You know, they are firm in their belief that anything that is remotely associated or attached to Gone Home is uh, a, you know, SJW propaganda type game, uh, which is absolutely. We're actually in our first news story this week, we're going to be talking about those kind of people. Uh, Oh, no, right. Um,. And that's a shame, but, you know, those people are idiots. Yeah, so. What Remains of Edith Finch, it's about 15 to 20, I think $20 is what it is on the, on the US store. How I was long talking is it? To, I was talking to the, the big dog, Tom Blarg, friend of the show. How, how long? Yesterday. Uh, I would think 
if you're going through it at a clip, two to three hours. See, that will also piss off those people as well. If you're pouring through it in detail, I would say closer to five, like I did. Um, I think it's worth the money, but I like that kind of game. Yeah. If you like Gone Home, if you like uh, Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, that kind of game, keep that in mind. If that's the kind of thing you like, you will like this game. Um, If it's something you don't know whether you like, you might wait wait it'll it'll be reduced on a sale eventually um i definitely think it's a worthwhile experience um and i think it'll be because we've talked about introducing best story this year for our awards and i definitely i definitely think i'm putting this on the list already for that um but yeah check it out if that seems like it might appeal to you and if you're not sure and you don't really mind some mild early game spoilers, uh, this Friday, go to our YouTube channel and there will be a Friday Plays of the first 34 minutes of it, uh, where my sound quality uh, for me is not great because I didn't bring this lovely studio microphone (laughs) with me. I had to work with my headset. Um, Anyway, let's move on to the news. News on the march! Um... First in the news this week, Mark, it's uh, more our kind of uh, nerd culture thing, but I think the broad strokes of what's being addressed in this story here is kind of relevant to uh, video games as well. And seeing as we are a podcast advanced that is video games and nerd culture ephemera, I think this is right at our kind of, uh, right in the middle of our sweet spot, our Venn diagram Well, more for you, because I can give a fuck about comics. But... But, so Marvel, we're Mm -hmm. fans of Marvel films. I'm aware of Marvel. I am fan. I'm a fan of Marvel comics, uh-huh. generally speaking. We'll get into that. Um, so this came out. Uh, this would have been on last week's podcast because uh, this is kind of a little bit of an old story. But I, I, I do feel it was. Um, we we do kind of need to mention it because it is a kind of thing that is. Um, people accuse of being the same case in games. So, uh, Marvel comics. For those of you who haven't been following it over the last couple of years, with like their marvel now and a couple of other things have been trying to get um superheroes um because marvel marvel is a kind of comics universe unlike dc so dc are known for oh we've had a year of being stale let's just blow up the whole universe and reboot it again like dc are a fucking mess continuity wise yeah they keep rehashing the continuity so they can redo the origin story of people every so often whereas marvel largely speaking have stuck to the same lore for generations of comic books and will kind of they'll do universe shifting events rather than universe completely rebooting events mm-hmm. um which makes i suppose it makes it harder to hop on sometimes for people who are completionists and want to get a full arc of a character's history it makes it tougher but uh, in terms of people who are long-term fans it's less of a kick in the dick we're rebooting the universe sure <laughs> Um, so Marvel have been kind of trying to slowly steer the the Marvel Comics universe uh, in line with two things. One, they wanted to reflect more what contemporary life is like now, because for a long time Marvel existed in a kind of... Um, they tried to, even though they would use a lot of real-world locations, uh, which DC don't, uh, they would try to steer away from kind of... Uh, the dark contemporary nature of our world (laughs) um so they're trying to move it more towards that and they're also trying to move things closer to be in alignment with the cinematic universe which is making all the money in the world yeah so for example guardians of the galaxy the guardians of the galaxy team in marvel comics history 
was not necessarily the team that you see in the film. Like, Guardians of the Galaxy was just kind of a nebulous term given to, like, a bunch of heroes that didn't know what else to do with, so they stuck them in space, stuck them together, and got them to fight a weird thing in space. It was never necessarily just Star-Lord, Gamera, um, Drax, and blah, blah, blah. Um, So they're kind of trying to steer things more in line with... um, making them tonally similar and in some cases like that. And they've also rebooted um, Doctor Strange, who wasn't really known for having a lot of strong solo runs before yeah. his like, film. For me, from the outside looking in, business-wise, that makes that a lot of sense. sense. And yeah. as well, because they don't own the cinema rights to X-Men, they're trying to bury the X-Men comic series. So they finished Uncanny X-Men. As far as I know, they've killed Wolverine in the comics and they haven't brought him back yet. It's been over a year now, I think. Okay. We report on them killing Wolverine on a very early podcast, from what I recall. Um, but they've done different things to try and like I suppose part of it is publicity part of it is to kind of try and get people to uh, go hi I might pick up and give this a go so um, one of the the early ones I remember is that they killed Peter Parker sort of uh, Spider-Man and they made this is this is going to be sort of mild spoilers for maybe the last three to five years of like broad strokes of comics because I don't keep up with every single Marvel monthly not even close so they killed Peter Parker and had the Doc, Doc Ock possess the body of Spider-Man and become the superior Spider-Man for a while, which was an interesting take on a character you've seen for 50 years. I, you can't see it, but I'm rolling my eyes yeah. so far into the back of my head You would right be surprised now. at how, like, I th- when I heard that, I went, oh, really? <laughs> but actually read a couple of volumes of it. It's pretty funny okay. and it's pretty good. All right. um, they've done different things like, so Tony Stark isn't Iron Man anymore. Um, there's a, uh, um, a black girl is iron heart and she is the kind of the, the head of the iron man brand in the comics at the mm-hmm. moment thor is no longer thor because he's been deemed unworthy i won't spoil the story for people who follow thor but jane foster aka natalie portman from the films because i know you aren't a comic yeah, follower, yeah, yeah she is now thor yeah so I, I i hear every now and again like uh there will be rumblings across mm. the the land of twitter and i'll see a little bit of an uproar of this kind of thing mm. uh and basically all i see out of it is it's the scene out of Anchorman where Burgundy goes, oh, diversity isn't that an old, old wooden ship? Mm. And it's just that, over and over and over again, as people don't understand yeah. diversity. So, um, what else happened? Uh, I'm trying to think, going across in my head. I'm trying to Look, we're going to be here all day. Just... Cap- uh, Captain America uh, left. Uh, he's joined Hydra. Um, and most importantly, the one I want to talk about that this whole story pivots around for me personally as a comics reader is uh, the reboot of Miss Marvel, where Miss mm-hmm. Marvel is now um, a Muslim teenage girl called Kamala Khan, mm-hmm. right? Um, so these reboots have been happening and these kind of pivots in universes have been happening over the last few years. And Marvel Comics suffered a massive sales slump towards the end of 2016. And an executive for Marvel, not just some angry dude on Reddit or Twitter, but an executive, someone who is paid by Marvel, came out and said, that's just diversity, isn't it? It's killing us. (laughs) Basically came out. And I went, what the fuck are you talking about, mate? Right. First things first. It's not fucking diversity that's killing your comics, mate. It's, like I said, do you remember I, I talked about how they don't do universe blowing up events like they do in um, DC? Sure. They do do a lot of events, though. So they had, like, Civil War Two was last year. A sequel to one of the kind of the most important Marvel Comics events of the last generation. Civil yeah. War, it was made into a fucking Cap movie. Yeah. And it was a great movie. Yeah. 
uh, and based on what I think is a very good comic. Um, they had Secret Wars too. They had all sorts of different fucking events. And it's because when a comics event happens, and this is probably one of the things that would infuriate you and make you not want to read comics. When a comics event happens, it happens across so many different titles within the comics that to actually follow it as it's happening would require you to pick up every month, say, Thor and Cap and Iron Man and this and that. And then there'll be some one shots where they just talk about it on its own and things like that. It's very convoluted. So one of the things to me that is actually killing the sales of Marvel Comics is that they keep doing events like this over and over and over again. And just when people are like, okay, I'm enjoying a monthly run of this, they're like, no, you must now buy all of them to understand what's going on. Right. Um, They've, it's quantity over quality. Yeah, another thing they're doing is because trying to, some of the things like Guardians are trying to bring it in closer to the films to kind of capitalize on that, which you said, good business move in one respect. That's running off people who were liking what they were doing before that. Sure. And then the other thing, diversity. The, the whole idea of diversity can get to fuck because the problem is some of these things where they have the diversity thing going on, I am not, I have not a pro, I have no problem at all with uh, Jane Foster becoming Thor. I actually think the unworthy Thor stuff is really cool, right? And I genuinely think that the best title Marvel have been putting out for a couple of years now is Miss Marvel. With Kamala Khan and the idea of like exploring the life of a Muslim teenager in America in the 21st century who is also a superhero is fucking brilliant. And like having her interact with the Avengers and other characters in the Marvel Universe and giving like there's something that warms my heart about the idea of giving young Muslim girls or giving young girls a superhero. Here's the thing. Here's why I'll I'll never be a business executive. Yeah. There probably is. Uh, I, I think you couldn't just say black and white. There isn't people that have decided to stop purchasing Marvel comics because of, quote-unquote, diversity. Yeah, they probably already weren't buying them. Yeah, yeah. I would say to that, fuck them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's all I can say, really. But that's my, my thing about it is, because the Unworthy Thor stuff is good, the Miss Marvel stuff is great. Um, For me, what's killing it is there's bad writing going on in other ones. I read a couple of issues of the, the, the Ironheart stuff. It's not very good. I, I read the issue around um, Cat America uh, doing the Hail Hydra thing that they got yeah. a meme last year. It's not very good. Yeah. But the problem is the standard of writing in Marvel Comics is starting to drop and they are not noticing that. <laughs> they are trying to pin it on other things instead of your stupid fucking event, well, sure. event, event fatigue, I believe people call it. Well, uh, again, as... Um... I was mentioning, as I was mentioning with the the walking simulators thing, is like if they're bad or whatever, you just pin it on this one thing, and because you have to make it this the thing with yeah. um, the alt right, whatever, like yeah. they will work around whatever fits their narrative, mm. and for them, their narrative is going to be diversity is the reason that this yeah. is not working. But this guy, he's the senior vice president of sales and market marketing. Now, Right. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I should probably have his job if he's going to say something stupid. Yeah, David Gabriel is this Belen's name. And his exact quote, I love this, by the way, is people didn't want any more diversity. They didn't want female characters out there. That's what we heard, whether we believe that or not. What the fuck? Like, but comics, in terms of the, the actual quality of writing from the major two brands, Marvel and DC, has been dropping considerably. Uh, some of the stuff in the New 52 over in DC is really like reasonably well written. I like the, the death of the family stuff that they did with Batman a couple of years ago. Um, but apart from that, do you know how desperate they're getting now? Enlighten me. Uh, with DC. And I'll move on after this because I know a lot of people don't care. By the way, if you want good writing in comics, buy 
any volume one of an image comic book and you're probably going to get considerably well, better this than... is the thing like if you start want to talk in, want to start talking to people about like the new saga or something saga wicked and divine yeah. all that sort of good stuff um, phonogram but anyway because remember as well i just want to point out like i like wrestling and i hate wrestling mm-hmm. fans what yeah. do you think i think about most comic fans the um they're doing in dc they're doing something that for uh, a lot of reasons that I won't get into here because it's a very fascinating discussion and it's one of the... I, I spoke to you about how I wanted to read something and it's related to this. They're doing something for 30 years DC comic books did not do. All right. So there's a... They've brought Wally West, the, the original Flash, back into the continuity in DC and what did they find in... He's a dog. No. <laughs> what did they find in an issue that's leading on to the implications of something being brought into the mainstream DC universe? Is it anything to do with a dog? They found the smiley face badge with the blood on it from Watchmen. Huh. The Watchmen character is one of the many reasons that Watchmen is so special is because Watchmen exists in its own fucking universe away from all the other horseshit that goes on in DC a lot of the time. Is this the proverbial... The fact that Rorschach just doesn't pop up with the Justice League every couple of months. Is, is this the proverbial, like, um, break emergency glass in case of... Like, oh, yeah. Any, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. pretty much what this is. And it, it's... it's, it's I, I can't imagine it being very good. Like, the before, <laughs> the before Watchmen stuff, they did prequels to all the Watchmen characters a few years ago. And that kind of... It's a bit hit and miss at times, but some of it is pretty good. And that is the only context under which I will accept more Watchmen stuff. Because inherently alone, and I will move on after this, this is the very last point. Just on its own, the addition of... You're familiar with Watchmen, aren't you? Uh, I watched the film once and I didn't like it. So. Okay. Well, the film's great. You're wrong. I up. feel like I'm like the Gerstmann <laughs> of comics. <laughs> the film's great. Everything's trash. <laughs> but um, the addition of Dr. Manhattan, uh-huh. so the blue guy... yeah. yeah. Into the, yeah, into does he play drums? Uh, into the DC Comics universe breaks the universe because Doctor Manhattan is basically God. Okay, there is no, like there are great reasons that Alan Moore justifies why he is not just able to blink whoever's doing what's going on in Watchmen out of existence straight away. Inter- the internal logic of that story works very well to make to make you well. Why can't he just go and everything sorted? Uh, but bringing him just into the main DC universe means that, like pretty much any adventure is going to have to contain a lot of seriously ridiculous logic loops to not have Dr. Manhattan just walk in and solve it immediately. Uh, sorry, but you say that and then you say the word comic books. and But even for comic books. Even I, for comic books. We have on however many occasions discussed <laughs> Superman and my issues I have with Superman. He is... He is infinitely more powerful than Superman. Uh, if you think like Superman being ridiculous yeah, is... Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, let's anyway, move on. Do you feel some... better now? Yeah. Because oh, I don't. I needed to get that one off my chest because I'm just like... Because that happens in video games as well. Like, with the whole kind of... Uh, like, women as lead characters in video games, which does not happen enough still, even though it's happening more. Yeah. And I feel like if a game doesn't sell as well, it's not down to fucking diversity. Because if a game is good enough, people will play it. It doesn't matter who the fuck you are. I mean, it's even more ridiculous because... One of the best games of this year is Horizon Zero yeah, Dawn. Yeah, no, here's the thing, here's the thing. Because it, it's ridiculous in the fact that there are still that subsection of people that still think that the primary, the primarily base of uh, people that play video games is, like, young men. Which isn't the case mm-hmm. at all. Like, mm-hmm. I think the last thing I read, it was like a 50-50 split. Yeah, 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 yeah it's pretty it, much 50-50 now. Yeah, so that's just, you know, absolutely Could you bollocks. imagine in 2017 if this was the year the first Metroid game came out, where you find out at the end that Samus oh, is a girl. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh, mother of God. <laughs> oh, no. 
The, oh, Twitter would be unbearable oh, yeah, for yeah, so yeah. long. Anyway, uh, a bit of good news to start off the gaming news for this week. Um, a teenager who is uh, partly responsible for the Microsoft and Sony hacks has been jailed for two years. Da, 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 da. Teenage hacker Adam Mudd has been sentenced to two years in prison after creating the software used to hack businesses such as Microsoft and Sony. As reported by The Guardian, Mudd created the nefarious code Titanium Stressor when he was only 16. He then set up a business selling it to fellow hackers where he made £386,000 Now sterling. imagine if he'd actually, I don't know, used his skills and just got a proper fucking job doing software. If he'd been, you know, what was it called? The white hat hackers who are basically outsourced by security companies to test fragility in their yeah, systems yeah. he could have clearly might have earned three hundred eighty-six thousand dollars that are pounds that quickly but he'd also not be in jail uh, exactly you know and he'd be allowed to keep that three hundred eighty-six. you have to look pounds. at the pros and cons yeah. of this situation he was found accountable for 1.7 million hacks fucking hell he was also found guilty of carrying out 594 distributed denial of service attacks which are uh, basically they're a kind of attack that's illegal to do uh on a computer where you have this kind of midware program that uh, you targeted at a website and a DDoS attack is when you you basically string up a bunch of zombie computers to all try to access a website at the same time and cave in at servers. Yeah, uh, we've seen that happen to Sterling on a number of occasions yeah, when yeah. someone doesn't but like his review. I feel like lots of people say DDoS attacks and don't take the time to actually explain what a DDoS attack is. Because I think I had heard DDoS attack a lot and I think it was... I watched... I think it was one of the first proper documentaries that was done after the whole WikiLeaks thing went down. Okay. Where someone actually took the time. There was like a 15 minute aside in this going, this <laughs> but, is what they yeah, are. This is how the programs are built. Sure, I was sure. like, thank you. <laughs> was that so hard? <laughs> Newspapers. Now, if someone could just sit down with me and explain Bitcoin to me, that'd oh. be great. <laughs> I'm sure Bitcoin experts probably can. Uh, yeah, right. Although, uh, one of MIT's leading lecturers on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency followed me on Twitter yesterday. What? <laughs> I've never mentioned the evil thing on Twitter. What can you do? At some point, you must have mentioned Bitcoin, and he went, all right, Fanny Search. This guy, this guy. Here we go, he knows. (laughs) Must be him. He's Davy Bitcoin. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so this guy has gone to jail. Good, piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Because the thing I really hate about those Microsoft and Sony ones is that one of them was targeted on fucking Christmas Day, and that's what killed me, because it's like, like a child getting their PlayStation and their Xbox, going, oh, this is so cool, I'm going to download Game X coming on, and the fucking servers are in meltdown, and... Don't ruin people's Christmases. It's an interesting... They should have tacked on an extra year. So both the prosecution and defence agree that Mudd, who lived with his parents at the time, shock horror, of his arrest after being expelled so from college, wasn't motivated by money. Instead, it was the status among his online cohorts mm-hmm. that he sought. You find that is the, like, getting the white whale is more important than the money you're making along the way in that community. I'm, I'm going to make a wild guess and say he never had a girlfriend Ooh, shots fired um uh, right back to the bad news um resident even evil 7's free dlc has been delayed sadly um so skip the next minute or so if you are not if you have not played resident evil 7 through to completion just know that the cliff notes of this story is that it is delayed uh, to an unspecified date at the very end of Resident Evil 7, when the kind of you have beaten the final boss, uh, a SWAT team from the Umbrella Corporation come in and uh, save you. And the guy who picks you up off the ground. Is it a dog? Takes off his helmet and it's Chris Redfield. It's not a dog. No, it's not a dog. <laughs> but dogs are so good. Look, there's a reason why people like Silent Hill 2, 2 so much. 
Do you know mm-hmm. why it is? Why is Because that? it's controlled by a corgi. Uh, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Um, but at the very end of the credits, then they tease that there's going to be a single player DLC involving Chris Redfield called Not a Hero. Okay, fair enough. Um, and it seems to be like a reboot of that character because he doesn't look exactly like Chris Redfield. You only know it's Chris Redfield because he introduces himself as Redfield. Yeah. Um, Wait, is Lord Bunnyhood in it? What? Not a hero. <laughs> I see what you've done there. Yeah, you see what, yeah, yeah. Um, but is it Lord Bunnyhead? His name? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, but it was going to be like, I'm assuming this is what's going to lead into the next Resident Evil games. There's going to be a kind of like a, a breakaway a story DLC that explains either what he did after this or what he was doing during the, re- yeah. the Which events of Resident Evil. It's actually Evil like a pretty good way to bridge the gap between games. And mm. if you want to kind of keep the interest in those games going, yeah. like I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if more games start doing this where like they know there's going to be a sequel. So they'll have a piece of DLC that kind of links the two mm. together. Kind of like I, uh, one of the things I really love about Bioshock Infinite's Burial of Sea DLC is that it's actually like a two-part DLC series that links together the entire Bioshock universe, Infinite to original Bioshock and Bioshock 2 as well um, which it didn't need to do you know but it did and it yeah. really ties up that whole universe in a nice little package but uh, yeah bad news out of Capcom they said it the production is underway but the, the producer on the game whose name I don't have here but besides the point um, the producer and the extra producer kind of looked at it and went and this is as far as reasons for a delay go there's a pretty good one is his excuse that there's it's too many to fucking, fucking games no. <laughs> is, it, is it that there's too many fucking games out and I need to finish Zelda no. fuck off leave 2017 does need to slow down but that yeah. wasn't it they kind of looked at it uh, is at it some dog? point during production and they said that um, it's not up to scratch they, like, it's uh, not okay. looking good enough fair yet. enough yeah so yeah. they're going back to the drawing board and they're going to make it better because to be fair Resident Evil 7 is a very nice horrifically nice looking game and it is a very very good game it's funny enough like the more I think about that game um, the more I think that it, it <laughs> as a complete reboot for the universe as it seems like it is um, it way more deserves the title of Resident Evil Zero than Resident Evil Zero did yeah <laughs> you know the idea that it is starting back from the genesis um, that's a fucking hell of a game and everybody should play Resident Evil 7 um, I'm good thanks <laughs> but ev- all fans of the series uh, and, and horror and kind of uh, you know even people who aren't the baby man that you are uh, should definitely play Resident Hi. Evil 7 <laughs> moving on uh, May's Games with Gold list has been detailed and it's um, it's a decent list it's not it's not a blow away but it's certainly better than say um, well they PS just plus I, 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 ha- most of the time I've just seen on Twitter the, the list of the PS Plus games for uh, May oh so. shoot with the PS Plus games well, first well, well if you want okay. to talk about this first okay. then I'll um, so we are getting do, 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 so you usually get two uh, four games in total for your month with uh, games with gold uh, two are available in the first two weeks two are available in the second two weeks of a month uh, and that breaks down into there's one Xbox One game and one backwards compatible 360 game that you can get on either 360 or on Xbox One uh, so the games for this month you're getting Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2 um, you're getting Lego Star Wars, The Complete Saga. There's a theme. Uh, then you're also getting Gianna Sisters, Twisted Dreams, Director's Cut on Xbox One, aside, uh, as well as uh, Lara Croft and the Temple of Osiris, which I recall isn't very good. I, I think I remember, because, like, all within that few months, you had the um, Rise of the Tomb Raider, this, and Lara Croft go then afterwards, and everyone's saying... Go for Lara Croft Go and go for Rise of the Tomb Raider. 
Maybe not this one. Well, I'm I'm currently playing through Lara Croft Go because there's um the 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 DLC, the Mirror of something or another, uh, which is like out on iOS and Android. So mm-hmm. I'm reviewing that at the moment. Uh, and like Lara Croft Go is really really good. Yeah, it, yeah. it takes the template of Hitman Go and it kind of expands on that. If you yeah, will. all those Go games are pretty uh, yeah. good. I haven't played the the Deus Ex one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the, the Lara Croft Go is is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there are your four games. Again, I re- Lego Star Wars is where it all started with that series, and those games are a lot of fun. Um, people really like those Force Unleashed games. Uh, I don't really know a lot about Janna Sisters, so I can't really talk about nothing. that. And yeah, Lara Croft and Temple of Sierra. There's something in the back of my head is telling me that people didn't like that game. Okay. But, you enough. know, it's free, so... There they go. I'll, I'll ping you over the uh, PS Plus games for May. Tell me. So, for the PS4, we have Tales from the Borderland. That's good. That's actually one of the good Telltale games. The music in that in particular is banging. But I that... remember liking it to a point until the actual mechanics started kicking yeah. in. I went, oh yeah, still Telltale. Do you, Telltale do you know what's great about it is that like the thing I like about the thing I like least about um, Borderlands is all the like loot collecting nonsense, which is most of the actual mechanics of that game. Yeah. So it's like, taking that out. away yeah, yeah. and just giving me all the story I want because yeah. I love like handsome Jack and shit. Yeah, like, like all the characters and everything. Yeah. yeah, and that is what this game is, and sure. it's got a really good cast and everything. I actually Tales from Borderlands is really good. Uh, Abzu. Ooh. And then for PS3, we got Blood Knights. Uh, <laughs> Massive shrug there. Yep. Uh, Port Royale 3, Pirates and Merchants. Shrug. Laser Disco Defenders. Which laser is a, Disco Defenders? Which is like Boy Words, the As video in, game. Is it a laser disco or is it like it's laser disco. discs with an no, O on the end of like It's disco Steve-o. as in like groovy funky town disco. Okay. So... That'll be a thing. PS4 games are kind of good for this month. Uh, well, that's PS Vita and cross by PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Typewriter. Got nothing. So, um, yeah. PS4 uh, games I, are kind of all right for this month. I, I mean, I don't have my PS Plus uh, subscription anymore, but I would have been interested in Abzu. And then, yeah, I have... So you're not a Telltale Games guy, even don't. when they're good. Because I have, I have Tales of Borderland on Steam, and I, I played through the first episode, and I just went, I just don't care for this mechanic. Mm. It's not a thing that I enjoy, mm. you know? Um, and if it's not going to get me with the Borderland universe, which I do enjoy, yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's never going to gravitate towards me. Mm. So uh, Yeah, I, I quite like... If, you, if you're a fan of the ones that... Because it also has some of the... the least amount of kind of uh, technical issues yeah. of I've played. Yeah, I know, right? Um, did you know, like, this is how off the radar I am with Telltale Games now because of how much they've let me down with particularly Batman, um, is I did not know that the um, we were up to episode four on season three of Walking Dead. Oh, that, that's how uh. off... And you think, like, with how amazing and how much of a dedicated fan base that game had after season one and sort of after season two, yeah. that I'd be hearing about well, it all the time. But people are kind of just like... I th- and I've heard I've heard nothing from people about raving about this Guardians of the Galaxy one. Well, I, I actually I was just going to say across the board, it feels like people have uh, have kind of zoned out a little bit with the Walking Dead like franchise as a whole yeah. with the series and everything. Um, and then yeah, I've not heard anything about the the Guardians Telltale. Mm-hmm. But then I'm not kind of looking out for it. So based on a, a question he got on Curious Cat last week friend of the show Barry Murphy has predicted confidently that he will die before Telltale Games will fix the physics engine <laughs> you know what it's a fair shout um, moving on anyway um, so this is like the um, and I hope this team continues as much as I'm disappointed by this particular entry in this team so 
early in one of our early podcasts, I think, was around the time that someone had dug up an old manual for a Mario game that has Yoshi's full name yeah. in it, which was T. Yoshisaur Munchkoopus, which was fucking hysterically funny. Every time you say that, a it's, little smirk. Oh, just, it's just, it's so if unnecessary. If you had a bad day, you, know I mean? you just like, say that. It's just so unnecessary. <laughs> it's like, you know, because if you count the Mario films, uh, the Mario film, should I say, as canon, right? As you would do such a fucking thing. But do you know what Mario's name is it's Mario 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 and Luigi, Luigi Mario, Mario yeah. yeah I actually I was trying to explain to someone the other day the concept the, the, the story of the Mario film or the live action film because they'd never seen it mm. and I was trying to to myself remember what oh yeah it's humans weren't descendants from apes they were descendants yeah. from lizards yeah and my brain was saying that, and the words were coming out. I'm like, uh-huh. "What is going on here?" Uh-huh. And Dennis Hopper is Cooper. No, I'm no, I'm dumb. Um, so someone has unearthed that Ganondorf has a surname. You know what really disappoints me about this? The fact that his name is not just Ganondorf. Yeah, yeah. Or even better, if it was <laughs> brother of Stephen. <laughs> yeah. Or even better, if it was Ganon Dusseldorf. <laughs> or Ganon D Orf. Ganon D Orf. Yes. <laughs> He's one of the orcs. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a job. Uh, That's all I'm saying. Um, also, like I tend to habitually refer to him as Ganon rather than. Well, Ganondorf. yeah, I like there is a convoluted reason as to the spe- spe- specific instances in which you refer to him as Ganondorf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then like there's like the whole demise thing, and it's just yeah, it's just not. So much I do, I do like I I warned very quickly. I thought it was kind of silly the first time I heard it, but I have warned very quickly to the calamity Ganon. Yeah, and no, I I'm grand with that because like it's very fantasy. The yeah. calamity I mean, the, the Ganon. Thing, the thing is, is I um to this point still have kept myself largely out of knowing anything about Breath of the Wild. Like, I don't even know yeah. where in the time... Or, to be fair, half the time, Nintendo don't know where Zelda games fit yeah. in the timeline. But I've kept I'm not entirely that. sure. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so... I know it's not first in the timeline. You know what? It isn't at this moment in time. <laughs> no, it's not, yes. But give it five years. Yeah. Okay, what is Ganondorf's name? So Ganondorf has a full name. His, his full name now is uh, Ganondorf Dragmire. It just sounds like a fucking Harry Potter character. Well, I was actually thinking it's very much like a her, her, we read Tolkien sort of. Yeah, it, sure. It's very much, you know, Ganondorf I, of To me, there's Dragmire. probably a bit of Tolkien influence in there somewhere the, in if it's If it's fantasy that took place any time after the Lord of the Rings <laughs> books were written, yes, yeah. it's going to be at least partially inspired by Lord of the Rings. But yeah, it was kind of a little bit... Dis- like, it's it's kind of a, a... Like, outside of the Zelda, Dragmire is kind of like one of those... Random name generator, cool medieval fantasy sort of names. Sure. That thematically it makes sense, but it's kind of a little bit disappointing to me. Because I think as this this being, this kind of the series embodiment of evil, I think it should be just Ganon. Yeah, it's just a bit unnecessary, or really. Ganondorf I'll go with, or the Calamity Ganon, or Demise is not. I, I don't so much go along with that. that. I think Demise is a cool word. Demise is a great word, yeah. but uh, Skyward Sword is not a great game. No, I was having I um, uh, a person I bring up all the time, Mark Brown, a uh, great journalist. He's doing his Boss Keys series at the moment. And he was talking about that he's not sure how to... He's not sure how the Skyward Sword video he's doing is going to go. Because uh, the key thing is he's doing is he's just looking at all the dungeons in all of the Zelda games. And I was saying to him, 
Well, surely, like, your video is going to be that the dungeons are great, but the rest of the game is trash, because I only played through Skyward Sword as, much, as far as I got to once. And what I remember is, hey, there were some really cool dungeons in that game, but the rest of the game is bollocks. And he was like, yeah, that's pretty much going to be the video. Um, so, like, for those, I, I think the, the, the canon way to look at Ganon, hey, is Can that... Why do they call him Canon Ganon? Canon Ganon. <laughs> that should be his weapon. The Ganon Ganon. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Fuck his sword, mate. I'm having so, flashbacks so, to uh, Piccolo talking to himself about his weapon now. <laughs> so Ganondorf is kind of like his, his humanish looking form, and Ganon is, is the like more primal, pig. bestial version of it. It's a pig. And, Come yeah, on. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, although depending on the, the the version of Ganon, they tone down or up the level of pig that he looks like. He goes more into kind of like uh, Warthog in uh, Twilight Princess. So he's also been known as Mandrag Ganon um, and yeah, Demise. Oh, and then there's the um, version of him in uh, Aganim or whatever it was called. No, um, oh, fucking hell! What was the the DS one? Um, Oh, Link Between Worlds? Link Between Worlds, yeah, because it's... They take the, like, the, yeah, you're the right. spirit of him into mm -hmm. the main bad guy. Yeah. 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 Um, Even when he's not, like, the main antagonist in a game, he's still fucking in there. Yeah. Which is kind of my big issue with Twilight Princess. Because Zant is a great antagonist, and then they fucking ruin him at the last second. Ah. <laughs> oh. Uh, GTA Online is getting yet more content. We're closing in on four years since that launched. Uh, and we're getting what is warming my PS1 loving heart, Mark. A top-down racer mode that, uh, like, I don't know if you want to say shots fired at that new Micro Machines game that's being made. Uh -huh. But uh, shots fired is what I'm going to say. It, it, it It's very much, if you watch the video from, it's called Tiny Racers, uh, which is an even more... More of a uh, like, just that's not even being subtle. No, <laughs> like no. that is fucking micro machines. <laughs> but it's also kind of in its own way a callback to when the series itself was top down. Sure. The original couple of games. Um, I'm a big fan of micro machines. Really like those games. Oh man, the it was the PS One, wasn't it? That was the, the like four hour generation was the micro machines. Uh game. no, mine was the Mega Drive. I think it was the PS One when I played more because there was uh, was it Micro Machines V One? I think. I can swim through two. I remember racing over a kitchen table. I mean, that's kind of a trope for my computer. But no, what I like about the Mega Drive one is that um, you could have up to four players, and what you could do mm. is um, the cars would just like go, like they would just automatically accelerate, and so you would like two players would hold either side of the controller. And I think you'd use, like, A and C to go left and right, and then you'd use up and down to go yeah, left and right. Yeah, that's definitely not the version I've played. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, I think I know, because the, the, I played a lot of the PS1 version Yeah, as well, yeah, because so. the version I know in my head is definitely Polygonal. And yeah, yeah. I didn't own the version, because there was a version on N64. Is the the one you played, is it that, like, the menu is you actually kind of drive into a garage, and then it splits off into other paths, and you go into other garages? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. I know the one. I also remember a lot of, because um, I used to play at my cousin's house, a lot of listening to The Offspring. We were playing that. See, my, my my the eldest of my three cousins. My my was game big into pop punk and shit like that. My game uh, song with Micro Machines is actually Coolio's Gangsters Paradise. <laughs> Thanks, Mal. One of those yeah, one of those weird things like you know someone playing music around the time you're getting like inextricably the Harry Potter books to me will always be linked with Brian Adams. Huh. My mom listened to the greatest hits of Brian Adams a lot in the car when I was okay starting to read Harry Potter books. All right. Uh, we have our first speed run of Breath of the Wild. First, not speed... So, some people have gotten uh, a speed run of the game 
uh, just beating the game down to under an hour because pretty much as soon as that game opens up and you get your um, your glider, you can go straight for Ganon if you want, but yeah. you will probably get your ass kicked. Yeah, I mean, there, um, there are the, the, the nightmare people out there that have the reflexes to do all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think in about 45 minutes or something, someone's okay. got it down to now. But um, 100% speedrun is a different <laughs> altogether, and that's what someone has done. Because as well as completing all the quests and the side quests and all the different things like that, there are also all the shrines, there's 120 shrines, I think, and collecting all the Korok seeds, which are about 900 of them throughout the map. Um, and you don't have to collect even a quarter of that because your inventory, because they are used for expanding your inventory when you collect enough of them and give them to Hestu. Yeah. Your inventory slots will max out about a quarter of the way through them. The reason there are so many in the map is so that everybody, no matter where they're exploring, will have a good chance of finding a fair amount of car Which is, seeds. yeah, that's grand. Yeah. It's a good way of doing it. So someone has managed to 100% this game in 49 hours. Uh, 49 hours, 9 minutes, and 41 seconds. i tell you what, that seconds. game alone is going to take up like two days of mm. uh, summer games done quick. Yeah, it's yeah. Gonna be, yeah, it's gonna be quite something. Do you know what um the hundred percent the the current world record for a hundred percent on uh, one of our favorites, Ocarina of Time, stands at? Uh, I will go with. Bear in mind, hundred percent, not just a completionist run. Yeah, no, because the the, the the any run is like fifteen minutes at this point. It's mm. fucking madness. Um, I'm gonna say somewhere between two to three hours. Four hours. Four hours. Four fifteen hours. minutes and okay. three seconds. Um, so you have to. This is the list of things you have to do. Uh, acquire all heart and stamina upgrades and thus all, all 120 shrines which means you have to beat all of the um, you have to beat all the divine beast dungeons as well yeah um, because you get a heart container uh, when you do those uh, complete all quests main side and shrine because some of those shrines have a quest for you to find the fucking shrine before you even get in there <laughs> although most of the time if you solve the shrine quest there's no shrine puzzle you just go in and go well finding the shrine was the puzzle so here's your shit right uh, complete Map percentage counter. This means obtaining all 900 Korok seeds, climbing every single tower and discovering each named location on the map because all the named locations don't necessarily pop up until you've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, acquire all key items. So all dungeon rewards, all medals, bridles, saddles, Hestu's gift, uh, the confidential envelope, the Sheikah Slate Plus upgrade, etc. Fully upgrade uh, a bunch of clothing, max out every rune and complete the Hylian Compendium, which is to take pictures because one of your uh things that the sleek shade do- sheikah slate does is take pictures of things they'll add it to the compendium and then you can use that compendium as a kind of hot and cold sensor if you're near this particular item you're looking for which is right. a pretty cool little device you just said a whole lot of words to me right now mm-hmm. uh but which means you have to take a a picture of every single animal monster treasure and item in the game um huh. so that's what you need to do to complete um that and someone has got that down to 49 hours fucking hell <laughs> uh i would never ever do a speed run in my wildest dreams but my hat's off to those broken nightmare people Mark, i want you to tell people about a little game a little full motion video game called night trap oh jesus christ right yeah or as i like to call it rapey bloke simulator 1992 so Night Trap is one of those... Well, no, it's not even a so bad it's good, because it's not good. It's an awful game. It's so bad it's worse. Um, It was kind of the selling point and the kind of focal point of the Sega CD, which was uh, a a hardware, a peripheral hardware uh, to the 
Mega Drive or Genesis back in the day. Trying to kind of prolong the life of the Mega Drive with the uh, the 32X slot on before the Sega Saturn came out. And it was kind of like the beginning of the end for for Sega because they would just make one, con- one fuck up after another uh, and, you know, just why Dreamcast ended up the way it is and I think... People really should read that console wars book. Oh yeah, it'll explain it better than I just tried. Um, so yeah, Night Trap is like a full motion video game, and that was kind of the key thing with Sega CD games. Is most of them were trying to sell themselves on having full motion video. Now, some of the games would use it sparingly. Some of them would just liberally use it um, at the expense of actual game you know like sonic c sonic cd is to some people the best version of uh sonic and but here no it's basically it's like a a kind of like a click and point adventure game but with like different rooms what's the demand mark <laughs> well it's basically a bunch of broads have a sleepover and you're a home invading creep well, you're trying to prevent the home invasion. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. You you are watching the the the, the home invasion. Yeah, basically. Creeps, so say, it's yes. kind of it's kind of like Home Alone to a certain degree, where mm. you've got the the creeps come in and they're trying to the murder the your, your women one by one, and you can kind of it's actually got you know what it's got a little bit of Five Night Five Nights at Freddy's about it. Yeah, there's a little bit of that because you go you you have the like the kind of different cameras and you can go into the rooms in a house. Um, it's just it's fucking appalling. It's getting a PS4 release. I don't know why. It's actually probably going to sell a few copies because there will be the people that remember it who are like, all right, I'll give this a go. And then there will be the people that have only heard about it through word of mouth or through, like, fucking whatever on YouTube. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, there was a fucking Shaq Fu Kickstarter, so anything's possible at this point. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's safe to say, Mark, I-, I love one of my favorite things for us to do when we're doing content for the YouTube channel is to force you to watch or play games that you don't like uh safe to say i will never do something like this to you and make you play night trap nor would i ever feel comfortable giving my money to that game yeah uh, and look up this story about night trap if for nothing else then finding the uh the box art for <laughs> night trap on ps4 uh-huh. oh it's fucking 90s ass 90s shit on it um mark Platinum Games recently released uh, Bayonetta on PC. They did. And that got a lot of people excited excited because they thought, well, will this be the start of an onslaught of Platinum Games making PC ports? And you may or may not have some pleasant news to report on that front this week. Yeah, uh, basically, in an update to Bayonetta for PC, um, in the extras folder, Mm -hmm. there is an avatar for Vanquish. Now, Vanquish is a game that came out on the PS3, and a lot of people like. I didn't spend a lot of time with Vanquish, but I have played it to a certain degree. And it's, a, it's a cult classic, you Yeah, say. pretty much. It's pretty fucking slick. Um, and people have been banging on about getting a PC port, as they have. It's like, there's a couple of games that people have been banging on for the PC ports. It's like Vanquish, Bayonetta, and Red Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, don't hold your uh, breath on Red Dead. That, that Xbox One polished up backwards compatible version is as good as we're getting for a a, a kind of a, a, a nice modern version of yeah. Red Dead Redemption. So uh, as of 2011, it sold over 800,000 units. Um, so 
people are a little bit excited because basically like the announcement of Bayonetta for PC was made and then it was just there like you know mm. not long after so people are wondering if this is the case for Vanquish if Platinum Games have been working on a couple of these games and just they're going to drop them one after another um, some people are wondering like will there be an announcement for Bayonetta 3 there's a whole lot of stuff going on but um, I think even if th- there wasn't the intention of making Vanquish for PC, I think, because Platinum Games have come out and said they're really happy, because I think, like, uh, Bayonet has sold about 100,000 units mm. on Steam. So I imagine this is them just kind of testing the waters of by putting that in there and seeing, okay, what is the reaction if we put even just a feeler for Vanquish but don't actually announce it? Uh, and, I, you know, there's a lot of excitement for it. So I think that, while nothing's confirmed, I do think Vanquish is coming at some point. Uh, speaking of beloved games, Mark, you're an enthusiast of the Burnout franchise. I am. And you we also might a... be able to report some good news on that front this week. Yeah! So I saw a tweet earlier today from Alex Ward, who was the, the kind of lead designer of Criterion Games, uh, with a tweet about something to do with kicking tyres and making fires or something. Mm-hmm. So I immediately went, all right, we got like a spiritual successor to Burnout? Kind of. Uh, they have announced they're working on a game, and I will refrain from making an archer reference uh, but they're making a game called danger zone which as far as i can see from some of the reports i've read uh is basically crash mode from burnout um i imagine they'll expand on this somewhat and you know crash mode was <clears throat> uh like a mechanic that was introduced that took the burnout series and you know added another layer that other racing games weren't doing at the time you know kind of a sort of destruction derby but in a contained environment sort of almost like a puzzle mechanic if you will but with cars which is always fun uh so i'm really curious to see how that'll turn out now we were both underwhelmed by dangerous golf yeah the, it was very much um, Felt like all a tech sizzle, demo. no steak, yeah. as Jim Ross would say. So I'm gonna not jump in just yet with like all my expectations high, but hey, these are the people that made Crash Mode and made Burnout, mm. so they know what they're doing. Um, so we'll see how that that goes. Um, I don't know if there's anything here. Can't see anything here about a release date. Oh, wait, no. Danger Next Zone. month. Next month. Yeah. Fucking hell. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I imagine one of us will end up buying that. Fingers crossed, eh? Yeah. I'd say probably more you than me. Probably. Yeah, you're the burnout guy. I am the, I am the burnout guy. Um, probably get Peter back on to have a talk about that. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for the news this week. So, uh, we're going to move into our book club feature where we look at a popular game from the past that we think either you should play for the first time if you've never heard of it or should re explore if it's been a few years. And this week is no exception because we are going to talk about one of, uh, I think, one of the first games the two of us bonded on when we found out the other was a fan. Um, and that is Advance Wars. Whoop, whoop.
Advance Wars, released in Japan as Game Boy Wars Advance, is a turn-based tactics video game developed for the Game Boy Advance by Intelligent Systems and published by Nintendo. It was released in North America on September 10th, 2001, with a later release date in Japan and Europe. But the game release was put on hold in both Japan and Europe re region due to the following days, September 11th, 2001, attacks in the United States. I was not aware of that. Awkward. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Uh, although the game was released in Europe in January 20, uh, 2002, neither the GBA game, uh, neither GBA game was released in Japan until Game Boy Wars Advance One and Two compilation on November 25, 2004. Advance Wars has been released for the Wii U Virtual Console simultaneously in Europe and North America since April of 2014. Mark, um, the Game Boy Advance, I think, um, is a much maligned console, and. Um, it certainly didn't uh, kick off with a roaring success among my uh, kind of cadre of friends that say the Game Boy Color did. Um, I was one of the few people I knew to actually get a Game Boy Advance. But uh, I think of the games I had for the Game Boy Advance before I eventually moved on from it, there are a few I had that were more beloved to me than Advance Wars. And I've said before that with the exception of the Pokemon series, generally turn-based strategy has never been for me. In spite of the fact that turn-based strategy games, a lot of the time, like your, your Age of Empires and stuff like that, will be based on historical stuff, which is usually right up my straza. But I, Yeah, both both turn, uh, both turn-based combat and anything that kind of like command and conquer style of game, I could not care less about, other than Red Alert, just because it has Tim Curry in it. Mm. Um, but Advance Wars does it in such a way um partially in it has that you know charming pixel art style to it yeah but it's done with enough simplicity and it's so kind of self-explanatory with each of the the kind of uh, parts of the game you know that are available mm. to you that very much very quickly you can kind of jump into a game and immediately you know know how to play the game yeah I, I think one of the things that um so, so basically advance wars just because you don't know like it you control um different colored armies and you're kind of um it, it's a very cool kind of cartoony but not necessarily overtly manga style but certainly reminiscent of japanese animation um cartoony style turn-based combat where you you control like i said the, these armies across the map and i think you've hit the nail on the head there mark i think the the beloved thing about this um franchise is that it is so easy to pick up because it keeps it simple yeah you know when you get into the proper turn-based strategy games the the big the, the heavy hitters the learning curve is quite steep you might say it can be very intimidating yeah you know but when you're playing a game on a Game Boy, you you don't necessarily always want something incredibly complicated. You want something you can pick up and play for a little while or play. The, the, one of the the big kind of selling points of Advance Wars is that you could have that four-way link cable and uh, have a grand old time with your Advance. Or even one of my favorite things about it, because I didn't know a lot of people with Game Boy Advances, is that because it's turn-based, you could just hand the Game Boy Advance over. Sure as you're playing it um but yeah keeping it simple is really at the heart of this game um i i i don't think if the learning curve was in any way steep i would have been able to no especially at the age i was no but I, I, I do think that you know that at the time um intelligent systems would have been 
keeping in mind, you know, the kind of core target audience that this was going to be aimed at, because mm. it was on the Game Boy Advance, um, and the the sort of primary uh, audience of uh, handheld consoles at the time would have been a, a much younger audience, mm. because if you think about what was the big unit shifter of the time, it was Pokemon. Yes. So well, that's what we were hanging around the <laughs> exactly. Around. Like I, you know, I only bought a Game Boy Color because of Pokemon Silver. Yeah, I and I, I bought a for Pokemon Blue. And I only bought a Game Boy. Well, I think I had a Game Boy before that, but I definitely only bought a Game Boy Advance for the remakes of yeah. Pokemon. The only, I think, the only games I like. My my granny had a Game Boy, <clears> and I I didn't have one until Pokemon Blue came out. But I think the only things I played on the Game Boy before that and loved them were Tetris and Wario World. <laughs> I'll add Pokemon Pinball to the list. Mm. Um, uh, there, there was a few games. And so, you know, there was a, a, a level of self-awareness about the, the the need to keep the simplicity of this kind of game intact. But I think that the way that uh, mechanics or, or weapons are introduced, like the very kind of staggered, it's one, like you do one level, okay, here's a new... Um, type of rocket or whatever that's introduced next mm-hmm. level okay here now you can go into the sea and it kind of incorporates that so it's not it, it takes a good couple of hours to get inside a game before yeah. the game really sort of says right you are now like fully on your own to deal yeah. with any kind of level we get to you and at that point the the difficulty does actually ramp up mm. uh, significantly uh with one mechanic and feature that does piss me off which i will talk about shortly yeah, uh, it very much does have that, um, like the best kind of tactical or strategy-based games, it does have that very uh, chess-like element of it, that you can't just learn the mechanics and then go in all guns blazing into Advance Wars. You very much, in that game, have to be thinking several moves ahead and be trying to anticipate the uh, the the kind of the, the actions of your adversary. Yeah. The Those kind of games fall apart, one, like I said, when it's too complicated to jump in. Uh, and two, I think sometimes when you have just as much luck firing on all cylinders, moving directly ahead as you would actually trying to plan things. And I think this has a great nuance of um, being an easily accessible game to start figuring out how to play, but also having um, some real good, like I said, strategy elements to it. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ron? Um, the one area where the game does piss me off about halfway through until the end is its liberal use of using the mechanic of uh, enemies hiding under shade essentially mm-hmm. and not being able to see where they the are the fog of war the fog of war yeah which is a trope for that that genre yeah and it really um you do get into the game and i remember and i every single time that i play through that game i hit a wall because um there's one level in particular where you have a whole bunch of uh, like jet fighters and helicopters, and you still got the sea to deal with as well. Mm-hmm. And there's the fog of war, uh, and I feel that the game at that point isn't broken, but it it does become uh, like it takes the the it, it adds a little bit of randomness, kind of that just, you don't necessarily want in a strategy game. It really throws the game against you. It really yeah. throws like the difficulty against yeah, you. Yeah, you don't often see in like we I was comparing it like in a game of chess where the middle of the board is completely obscured. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so you, you don't know, know what you're running into. It's like you've turned the handicap up to like ten or something. Mm, yeah. Um, and at that point, it becomes like 
you need to play the level like 20 times to see the root of where every uh, piece of the enemy's artillery is going to go. So you can kind of plot like, it's kind of almost like Minesweeper where, you know, you're going to dot, okay, this is where that will be, this is where that will be. But obviously there isn't the random nature of Minesweeper. Um, and that just becomes a war of attrition at that point. Um, yeah. And that... That's my big issue with the game. Um, now, I've never played any of the sequels, so I don't know how it deals with that in later I've sequels. I've played a little bit of Advance Wars 2, but I haven't played any of the not-numbered uh, Advance Wars um, that came I'd out on DS. I'd be very curious to see how Wargroove handles that, mm-hmm. which is the soon-to-be-released Switch uh, yeah. kind of take on Advance Wars, if you will. If that's good, people may not hear from us for a while. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> now, we've never actually sat down and played two-player Advance Wars, which I feel is a is thing it? that we should do at some point. Yeah, I have it on the Wii U. Well, I could just emulate it. Yeah, we could. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. It's not exactly going to be a taxing game for the MacBook. Indeed. Um, I feel that's a live stream we should do at some point. Have a yeah, game. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, so when did you come to... like? Did you have Advance Wars at the time, or did you come to it a little bit later? I think this might have been one of the games I got with my um, Game Boy Advance because I was already off the Game Boy Advance before Ruby and Sapphire came out Mm -hmm. because I had gone hardcore into PS2 and uh, wasn't really a handheld gamer uh, anymore Uh, it was the Vita before I really hopped back on to handheld gaming and then I got the 3DS uh, purely for uh, Link Between Worlds and Pokemon XY um but yeah i was a fairly early adopter of advance wars and i was certainly the first person i knew talking about advance wars and part of that was down to the fact at this time i still would have been reading nintendo official magazine every month so i was getting all the advance wars hype that was coming out behind it because still to this day i was looking here when we were doing the the research for this and i was looking on the wikipedia page um nintendo power did a list a few years ago of the top 200 games of all time on Nintendo systems and Advance Wars is number 26. I tell you what, you put any Game Boy Advance top 10 list together and Advance Wars will always be in that list, mm-hmm. you know, uh, without question. Mm. Uh, I didn't actually come to the game till about four years ago or so, I oh, want to really? say. Mm. Yeah, it was a game I knew about and it was a game I wanted to have a look at. What I actually ended up doing is my... Um, my ipad i just got and um they were showing ways that you could get a game boy advance emulator running on it yeah. and you have to do a few tricks to get it running and uh, i didn't download pokemon which is the obvious thing to do because if i'm going to play a pokemon game i want to play it on a, a device where i can actually kind of continue that save data over in some form you know it's just wasted hours otherwise what mm. am i going to do this pikachu it's stuck on my ipad now um so I downloaded the Mario Kart game for the Game Boy Advance, but the problem is, is anything that's sort of Twitch-based of that nature, and certainly for if a game... If you're not playing it native on the console, like, emulations are going to... Yeah, I... Basically, so uh, I've got my, my hands up right now, and I'm doing, like, a C shape with my thumb and my forefingers, which is how you have to play Mario Kart on the iPad, because you need these for the, sh- the, the forefingers for the shoulder buttons, mm-hmm. and then your left thumb for the D-pad and the right thumb for you know, the A or B buttons. It's not very practical. No. So I needed to find other games that I could play, um, and I wasn't aware of Fire Emblem at the time, which is kind of another popular uh, sort of turn-based strategy yeah. game. I think it's safe to say significantly more Japanese than Advance Wars. That's a fair shout. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Advance Wars was a game I knew about and was perfect for that kind of device at that time to play. Yeah. 
And yeah, just immediately clicked with it uh, visually, tonally, mechanically, which is the key thing. You know, mechanically, it was up my street in that it kept the explanations very simple, kept the mechanics very simple, but still gave you, you know, the, it has layers. It's to not it. an easy game by it's any not, stretch. It's, but it it's has, easy to pick up, but not necessarily easy to master. Yeah, but it has that tactical complex mm-hmm. of once you start getting into the game and start understanding the mechanics, like you can. Uh, use certainly in the multiplayer you can use that to uh change to sort of the style of play that you play whether you're more defensive or more uh, attacking in in mind like what this was great for was what I, I i distinctly remember multiple summers of uh bringing this game with me and being on holidays with like my cousins who were of an age to me roughly and being able to bring it and start playing it within a few minutes, everyone knew how to play it. And we were just playing away, like, beside the pool or on the beach or whatever. Um, it was just so easy to get a multiplayer game going, because that was back before I'd been completely run off multiplayer as yeah. a concept. Yeah. Um, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Do you, do you have more to kind of add to it? Um, I don't particularly... I don't have any strong memories of the, the necessarily the... The, the music or anything like that no i don't think it was a game the uh, there was one nintendo games usually we have a whole segment we hit on the music but yeah, i don't remember I anything f- particularly if i remember um there was only like one piece of music for the actual kind of in-game stuff mm. and so after a while that gets a little bit repetitive yeah. um no nothing nothing in, in regards to that that i remember um yeah it's a good game it's a great game if you yeah. you had a game boy advance there's probably a chance you might have at least been aware of this game. Yeah. Um, and if you like turn-based strategy games, you probably, yeah, you, at some point you would either have heard of this game or probably would have played it. I'd imagine so. Yeah, like, like I said, Nintendo Power ranked this the 26th best game ever released on any Nintendo platform, and it is there for a reason. Um, if you are curious about the turn-based strategy genre and uh, uh, but are too intimidated by other more complex games... Uh, this is a very good starting off point to get you the all the kind of action of that kind of a game without as many headaches or tome-sized manuals trying to figure out what's going on. Um, it's also the perfect uh, local multiplayer game, really, uh, for a handheld device. Like I we said, should definitely be, do a live stream of us playing at some point. Being able to hand off that Game Boy Advance to the person beside you as they're sorting out their troops and stuff like that was yeah. really just a dead simple idea. There's, there's a couple of... Um, a couple of like local multiplayer games I've been playing on the iPad and the my, my Samsung tablet lately mm-hmm. tablet lately that do a similar thing where you can just kind of pass the device around uh, and I think that's something you could probably take advantage of a lot more with like tablets and, and phones and stuff and games of yeah. that nature so yeah yeah and let's hope let's keep our fingers crossed for Wargroove uh, coming out in the near future I from everything I've seen it looks like it's going to be about as like palette shifting but keeping the core concept in mind type of game mm. uh that you know it might al- almost be to a fault exactly like it advanced might be wars. to advance wars what axiom verges to the metroidvania maybe um okay we have one, one bit business left for the week mark you got a game for us for episode 64 yeah well you know they brought it out on pc so i'll talk about it by now 
how have you not done a Nintendo 64 game for episode 64? I was sure you were going to do that. Because, like, pretty much every other game you do is a Nintendo 64 game. So I, I have to, like, yeah. you know... And in fairness, if it wasn't me doing that, you would have that gimmick as well. Maybe. Nintendo 64 is kind of a little bit beloved around this house. Yeah. And around this, uh, this um, office. But no, I, I think it's timely to do a, a Bayonetta, because, you know... Indeed. PC port is out and it's yeah. really good. Yeah, it's actually sitting there in front of. Yeah, us, you do the, have the to. Wii U did you did you f- like forget to give that to your? No, no, I did not because they are uh, twelve, ten, and eight. Okay, I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, I very deliberately did not give them Bayonetta or Bayonetta two. Yeah, I can imagine because I don't want difficult conversations to be had. I can imagine the bit where all her clothes suddenly disappear and turn into a dragon. Yeah, trying to explain that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for episode 63 of Link to the Cast. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and most podcast platforms of your preference. Just search for Link to the Cast. Give us a subscription, a rating, a review. All of that kind of stuff helps. Um, definitely share us uh, like on, on social media and stuff like that. Pe- peep it out. Uh, the more ears we get on this show, the better. Uh, the website is linktothecast.eu. That's where we're going to... We kind of have our show notes for the show when we do written articles. Uh, they're going to go up there as well. Uh, if you want to get in touch, linktothecast.gmail.com is the email address. But social media is the best place to get a quick response from either myself or Mark. And we are facebook.com forward slash linktothecast or at linktothecast on the tweet machine. Individually, I'm Dave Ryan IV on the tweet machine. Mark is Lithium Project. Uh, we stream videos sometimes over at twitch t- twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast and archive them later on YouTube, where you can search for us just by searching for link to the cast, either all one word or separately, whatever way you prefer. We do have a weekly video schedule, not so much for the Twitch streams. We kind of record those uh, live on Twitch whenever we get free time a uh, notification will go up on our twitter at link to the cast by the way whenever we go do that if you want to join in the fun live uh, but our weekly video schedule for releasing stuff on youtube uh, it goes as follows uh, monday is mark on mondays and a game you were talking about earlier on in the podcast mark is what you're doing you are two episodes in this is into your axiom verge playthrough i believe i can't remember if it's one or two but we're... i think you released two on monday did i I think so. Oh, because I remember thinking one. Mark hasn't released the video. No, you did release the first one last week. Because okay, you so were going to sure. release two in a row and I went, why? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I have that all backed up now. I, yeah. I uh, Twitch streamed that over the span of a week. I had um, been pointing out to you because of your schedule issues, maybe you should try and get as far ahead of yourself as yeah. possible to give yourself room. Maybe. Um, so yeah, that's all done. And so at some point I'm probably going to uh, have a look at Night in the Woods as well. Uh, soon as well so wednesday is retro corner 64 the series where we are chronologically playing through every single nintendo 64 game released in english-speaking territories is cruising usa this week um it's going up maybe. today as we're recording this but the video will have popped up on wednesday on our youtube feed anyway where we're playing through we definitely went through a streak recently of not so good games and it's starting to come good uh now because we're about to hit a couple of bangers like mario kart 64 yeah um Thursday is the day this podcast comes out on, uh, like I said, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, podcast provider of preference. Uh, it's the only thing that comes out that day because it's an hour and a half, two hours. Just enjoy that in isolation. Friday, we wrap up the week with Friday of Plays, which is my individual series where I play through, uh, either play through something in a series or play through whatever I'm feeling like on that Friday. Uh, generally, I've been playing Life is Strange for the last while, but... Um, this Friday, I am taking a look at What Remains of Edith Finch, the first half hour or so of that game, to kind of see if you 
want to give that game a go so uh check it out over on our youtube channel like we said that is it for episode 63 of link to the cast but do not worry your heroes will return next week in episode 64 for mark robinson i've been dave ryan we'll see you next week goodbye